Hey guys, Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Welcome back to another episode of National Fire Radio's podcast. Robert Ridley, thanks for joining me, pal. No problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, well, you're a staple on the show, so having you is more like you're just here and you're part <laughs> of it. You know what I mean? Like you don't get a special invite. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Um, it's nice to see you're drinking out of Molly's mug today. That's cute. It looked like uh, what's on there? Love it's it. our it's her wedding one she got oh, for me. Oh, that is yeah. tender. That's tender. Well, listen, enough about us. It's nice to be back. Uh, I know we're still on Zoom, but uh, studio stuff is coming soon. But uh, the Zoom allows us to interview people from all over. And so the gentleman on our screen with us, uh, Captain Anthony Rowett from Mobile, Alabama. Cap, Anthony, friend, we've gotten to know each other. We've met a few times. Thank you for joining us on National Fire Radio. How are you, brother? Doing good. No, thank you guys for letting uh, letting me come spend some time with you. I love y'all's show. And Y'all doing great things for the fire service, so honored well, to be a part is, of it. Those are the kindest words I've heard in a long time, so thank you very much. But, uh, <laughs> but I will say it's it's uh, it's it's an honor to have you, and I'll I'll tell you why. I've through the uh, the selfishness of National Fire Radio, what it does for me is it allows me to surround myself with people that boost me up. It allows me to surround myself and and Rob. I'm not to speak for you, Rob, but. You know, we get to talk to some of the, the best, the coolest, the greatest people. And we've made some of the best friends uh, through this platform. Uh, and because of that, I'm grateful. And uh, you're one of those guys that we had uh, spoken. You came to New Jersey. And we're going to get into your whole backstory yeah. because you have New Jersey roots. Um, and uh, you came to Jersey. We met. And I, uh, we listened to some of the training that was going on that weekend. And, uh, and then you and I had connected a few more times after that. So... Um, this is one of those interviews I've been looking forward to because, uh, you know, I want to know a little bit more about your backstory and, uh, and I know how passionate you are, uh, about the, about the job, but also the training aspect of it and how important, um, the connections and the brotherhood and all that gets wrapped up into, um, your absolute passion for the job. So, uh, selfishly, thanks for being here, man. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, I appreciate it, man. So let's let's hop right in, man. Let's talk about chapter one, right? Your upbringing in the uh, in the fire service. You're a New Jersey guy. I mentioned it. You got New Jersey roots, and I think that's where it started. So give me a, bit, a little bit of the backstory of how Anthony Rowett found his way to Mobile, Alabama, and became a career fireman. All starts in New Jersey. Yeah, it all starts starts in New Jersey. Born and raised uh, Sussex County, very northwest corner. Um, grew up there, and my parents say back till I was about five years old is when it started. When I started talking about being a fireman. And uh, it just never changed. It followed no family roots in the fire service, nothing like that. It was just what I wanted to do. And uh, it followed, it never kind of broke. Um, and then my senior year of high school, I started volunteering in Ogdensburg where I grew up right next to Sparta, Sparta, little small town, no one ever hears of, but uh, got to volunteer there. And it was like for where I'm at now and how the progress of my career went, it was an awesome start because you were there, you saw like how they take care of their rigs and just the level of pride they have. And they put that into everything. So it was a great start that um, it really enforced that, that pride from day one of my career, starting as a volunteer. And it was about training, about pride. They really cared, took a lot of pride in their stuff being clean and the way that they, they responded, the way that they trained and what they could do for their community. And it was such a small town. So we drew from a, a very small population so our numbers were small so it was a yeah. lot of work to to be able to do things to that level but they never they never broke from it it was like this is the traditions that came through this this department and we're going to uphold it 
And um, it was kind of weird because when I started volunteering, um, like the, the guys I, that were mentoring me through there were a lot of them were like my friend's dads. So I was always growing up like in their house and now they have like this different role to me. But yeah. um, a lot of it was also like growing up. I didn't I hung out with some people that were older than me, a few grades ahead of me and things like that. Uh, we were big into bikes and stuff like that. So we were all always together. So when I came in, they were kind of like those three, four, five year firemen and they were teaching me what they'd learned. So it, it was cool because it's such a small town that you you didn't like meet anybody new by going there. You already had this connection. And then it was just this level of mentorship that fell through. And they already like I guess maybe kind of made it a little simpler because they already knew each other. Like they all knew me. They knew how I was, knew my family. So there wasn't that learning process of how do we get through to this kid? They, we already knew each other. There was nobody new because it was such a small town that it was able to like from day one, they knew how to get through to me and get what they wanted to teach me for me to understand. So, yeah. It's such a, such a small town, right? Like what that does, because I mean, I, I think about, you know, the majority of the American fire service are not urban firefighters, right? We're not big metropolises. We are main street, USA, small town fire departments. And for me to, to, and I guess where I want to take this is very much, the influences that you received in such a small town where, where it was community pride, fire department pride, you're not going to fires, you know, as, as much, right. Nope. You're going out probably 200 times a year or something like that. Right. But at the end of the day, it was the foundation that was, you know, influenced you that foundation of, of pride and ownership, if you will, and the passion for it um, really probably set you on a, a trajectory for wanting to do more. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they were, they were real supportive and influential to when I, I took the test to become a Jersey fireman or a New York city fireman and things didn't work out for different reasons. Um, like being on the New York test and that, that got thrown out in court and you had put a lot of time in to, to get a good score and it gets thrown out. And it's kind of like, man, maybe this isn't it. And they were like, no, you got to keep going. Like maybe you have to move away. That's okay. You know, there is a world outside of New Jersey. If you got to leave to follow your dreams, you do it. So if there was doubt in my head to that idea, these guys were like, no, it'll be okay. You'll, you'll meet new people. Yeah. You might move somewhere and not know anybody. It'll be okay. Follow your dreams. It's and, really, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Oh, you're good, it's, you're good. it's really cool to hear that because, uh, you know, we have had some guests on before and they've talked about that, um, that struggle of moving away to chase that dream. And I think it always speaks to the organization when they say like, Hey, like we'll still be here. If yeah. something doesn't like take the chance, take the risk, we're supporting you 110%. But if it doesn't work out, like come back. Cause we're here. Like, and, and I think right. that's, that's why people don't want to make that jump. That's why they right. don't want to take that action because the risk of failure, all this doubt in their mind, but it's that community firehouse, that family. And you mentioned mentorship right off the bat when right. you're talking about them. Like it's, it's that mentorship of saying like, no, we have your back. Like if you, yep. if you need us, we're here. And I, I, I think that's so huge. It's, it's awesome that that's it's there. Yeah. And we, we still talk all the time. Like Dennis, the guy that had set up that, uh, had set up that class you came to in Augensburg. I still talk to him probably if not every day, every other day. Uh, just a lot of it's just friendship and we know each other forever. And a lot of times it's like, Hey man, how's the job going? Well, you know, and we just talk. And uh, so that's still there. Like that connection's still there. They're still involved wanting to know, how my career's going or, Hey, you've been to a job lately, things like that. Um, I love that. I mean, it's, it's still there. It's that involvement, right? Like yeah. they, they invested in you, you invested in them. 
right. and you still have that conversation. They're they're proud as an organization. Like I know in my hometown, yeah. the amount of career firefighters we've put out, it really is a proud moment for our department yeah. because a lot of it was due to the the cultural influences we had on these members that wanted them to make it a career. So they're yeah. proud of you, man. They're proud of oh, the yeah. accomplishments, and they want to hear about it. That's fantastic. So how did, so, okay. So you mentioned the New York city list got tossed, right? I mean, that was, that was really a big deal in uh, the nineties, two thousands. They had a couple, a couple issues there. Um, And I know the influence where you lived in Jersey is similar to where I live. So we all took the city fire test at one point, I think growing up, right. right? Um, And so on. So then how, I mean, so you're right now, you're talking to us from, from Alabama, right? Like how does how does it from small town New Jersey end up in Mobile, Alabama? Yeah, so I had taken the New Jersey test, and everyone that has taken a New Jersey test knows how it works with residency and stuff. And being from Sussex County, like no paid departments in the in the county, the odds weren't really there for me on the Jersey test, but I took it. Um, and then I took the New York City test when it came open. Uh, I think I was like 17 when I took it because it's a four-year list, so you could take it at 17. And came out really high, and I was like, I was stoked, like, yeah, okay, this high of a number, I'm going to get a job eventually. And then when it went to court and all that happened, it was like, man, heart ripped out, because that was the dream. New York City firemen wanted to work in Brooklyn and uh, wanted to live in Brooklyn. Like, I always loved going to Brooklyn. And uh, so it was like, man, it's gone. Like, the dream's gone. And uh, happened to go to drill night at Augsburg Firehouse one night, and a kid I grew up with my whole life, he's like a year younger than me, he was like, yeah, my uncle's on the job. Uh, his department's about to hire. I'm going to go fly and take the test for him. Why don't you come with me? I was nice. like, yeah, man, I'm down. Where are we going? He was like, oh, Alabama. I was like, ah, I don't know, man. I've never really left this, you know, much of the region of New Jersey. Uh, I've got this image in my mind of what Alabama is, which was ended up being way off. But, right. uh, and uh, thought about it and was like, you know what? If that's what it takes, that uh, I'll go. I just want to be a paid fireman. And he's like, bro, they got big buildings. Like you want to do, you'll be good. So we I sign up for the test. We fly down. We take the written test together. Um, his uncle was uh, had just been promoted or in the process of getting promoted to captain here. He moved here in the Navy. When he got out, he stayed, got on the job. So he picks us up from the airport. We go take the test and uh, did good on it, came out towards the top, flew back down, took the CPAT, and uh, worked out pretty good, did my interview. And a couple of weeks later, they offered me a job, and I just packed everything I had up and moved at 19 years old. So 19 years old. So when, when you were so from Jersey, you were still single, right? I mean, you, you didn't have. Well, I, I was I was dating my high school sweetheart. And uh, okay. six months later, when once I'd finished rookie school and she had finished college, uh, she moved down and we're married, got two kids now. So that's fantastic. It all worked out. Yeah, for sure. I think, though, too, and, and part of the conversation is to, to take that chance, like Rob mentioned before and, and for you as well. At 19, you have everything in front of you. I mean, right. and and you know as well as I do in the New Jersey in the in the Northeast yeah. to get a fire job is increasingly harder every single day. Yeah. Um, it becomes a full time job just to get hired, um, and so on. So you got to play the game, and and it's uh, you got to move. You have to get yeah. residency. I mean, there's there's a tremendous amount that goes into getting hired um, here in the Northeast for sure. So, but at 19, man. It's time to it's time to take risk, time to gamble a little bit. You knew what you wanted to do. I love that, man. What an opportunity. 
So, so how long, so you've been in Mobile now for what, 13 years? 13 years. Yep. That's yep. fantastic. I moved, I moved down here like two weeks before I started rookie school and just jumped right into it, which cool. was kind of rough. Cause you know, our summers are, our summers are pretty rough and I started rookie school in the end of June. So I, I struggled with the heat for a little bit. I yeah. bet. Oh, so where did, so small town kids, small town fire department, big city fire department transition, right? So Proby school for one, and I'm sure it was probably a lot of locals. I mean, I'm sure there weren't too many transplants like yourself that, that took that test. No, we, we had a couple people in my class. And then the guy that I'd taken the test with from Augensburg got hired in the class after me. Oh, nice. There was a couple people from my class that were from different places, but for the most part, they were from Mobile itself, surrounding area, or like uh, Panhandle of Florida, where it's still an hour commute, you know. Uh, so they were all pretty much local to me, uh, local to this city. Uh, and I was the one that, hey, I don't, I don't even know how to get where I'm going. You know what I mean? I'm using MapQuest at the time to figure out how to get to the training center <laughs> every day, you know. <laughs> MapQuest. I love it. Used to print, used to print yep. out the directions on paper, right? And take yep. them with you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I had it in my passenger seat. Yep. That's hysterical. I remember that, man. You bring yeah, it back. It, was, it did make a, a decent uh, transition because we're not this huge city, um, you know, like 200,000 or so. Um, but the, it's a Southern city. So it's not like New York city. You know, you got your downtown area, but they, the, the city spreads out. And for us, we go East to West. So downtown's East and you got this urban center and as you get further west it gets more suburban and then yeah. even in areas the city's annexed it gets to rural we've got kind of everything but so there was areas to go and you know it wasn't like this just big move to you're living in you know sure. Manhattan now you know and a whole sure. change of life from suburbs and rural to just that's not around we got kind of a little bit of everything with not just around but within the city itself so it wasn't too huge of adjustment for that it was the huge adjustment of just not knowing anybody you know, just was, was homesickness an issue? Uh, at first I got yeah. down there about two weeks before starting rookie school. So, uh, that, that two weeks was rough. Like, cause I didn't have anything. I didn't know anybody, you right. know, and once I started rookie school, like it put a focus in my mind and I'm kind of a perfectionist and focused person. So once I'm doing something like it's got a hundred percent attention. So it was like rookie school, rookie school, rookie school, rookie school. And even though I didn't know anybody except the guys I'm going through with, I was making those friendships and having those bonds and getting to know people that, uh, it, that once I, I got into that environment, things kind of, the homesickness was a little different. How big was your class? Uh, we were doing classes of 30 at the time. Okay. So that's typically still what we do is around 30 guys. And we do around two, two a year. Usually, mm -hmm. uh, I know the word is our next class is going to be closer to 50, probably 45 because we got a safer grant to add some more positions back to the job. So nice. we'll, we'll hire all the safer grant positions plus, anyone we're going to lose through retirement, a planned loss within that, yeah. that time frame. So they're talking about it being the biggest class we've had, which is about 45. And we got like 520 guys total on the job. With uh, just as far as like culture goes and just having that, because I think like the important, one of the important parts of this conversation, especially for people who are aspiring to be career firefighters and they take that leap, you know, the two weeks before the homesickness. Um, and then like, for, so out of that class of 30, like, did you graduate with 30 or did you lose a couple along the way? Uh, we, we lost two. Okay. We, we lost so two guys and graduated with 28. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, it, it was pretty good. Uh, most classes, they, they probably, out of the 30, I think we're, we probably lose six or seven usually. Um, yep. But the biggest thing is a lot, of, a lot of our classes now you look back, because you go to our 
if you go in the classroom of our training center, you got everyone's uh, class pictures on the wall. And mm -hmm. we do it as a plaque that we present to the, the officers that trained us with the class yep. picture. And uh, you go through and we start looking and how many guys have left and uh, just, you know, chasing money because the city went through some hard times. Yeah. Things like that. And uh, or just we're, they're coming on and still to this. I mean, now we don't we're not going to be the highest paid in the area. A lot of people make more than we do. We just we have a different environment. So we get a little more opportunity to do some things than other places. But they come to us, get some training, get a little fire in them and then they go make some money. So we're not keeping guys like we used to. And that's kind of one thing I like about my class is we've still got a, we've lost a, a good bit, but we've got a large majority of our class still here. Uh, yeah. You have that connection with, you went through it together and, you know, seeing guys you, you came through with promote or things like that, you know, you, you take that pride in it. You see success for guys you went through it with. How yeah. difficult, how, how difficult is dealing with that turnover? Right. I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but you, right. you hit on that. And I, I have to think you're one of those guys, you went through the Academy there. Um, I, I the job kept you there. You enjoy yeah. it. You didn't yep. chase, you know, you weren't chasing something more. Um, and, uh, and so for you now as a boss, but even just the rank and file fireman, a backstep fireman at the time, was it difficult to watch a turnover? What did it affect the job? Whereas, you know, people that were getting their foundational roots uh, planted and then picked up and left and they're left the whole, like, how, how was that process? Is it challenging? Um, for me, it kind of, it, it aggravated me, but it didn't really affect me because of okay. the fact that I've been lucky from when I was in Ogdensburg through today, I've always got to work with good people. So there's been very few people that I've personally been like assigned to a company with that up and left. I mean, there's been some, um, but for the most part, it wasn't affecting our guys. Um, I was still working with the same guys every day. Um, so I had that continuity of, yeah, this is who I'm going to work with. And basically they're going to promote out, you know, people yeah. weren't transferring out. People weren't leaving. There was a lot of pride, especially when I was a backstep firefighter, man, the, the guys we worked with on that crew, like the boss we had, none of us wanted to work for anybody else. So it was, we, we were, whatever he wanted, we were in, but none of us were going to leave. Uh, the driver we had at the time had been a firefighter for him, had been on the job like 15 years, I think at the time, but he had worked for only one other captain before him. And, um, you know, he wasn't going to go anywhere. He's still in the same house. Just on, I'm on B shift and he's on C shift. He, he went across the floor just on a different shift to the ladder. Um, uh, but we, none of us were going to work for anybody else. We, we didn't want to work for nobody other than that guy. So it affected us. Like we saw it and we were like, man, what the hell? Why are these guys leaving? Like, but looking back on, I realized not everybody had that situation. You know, he was, he was an awesome mentor and it, not just, yes, he, he cared about the job and you were going to be good at it, but he cared about you as a person. And that goes a long way. And uh, not everybody had that situation. So, so I look back on it and I can kind of understand it. And maybe some people got into it and they, they made some some calls that made them realize it just wasn't for them, and that's why they left too. And other people left money. And looking back on it now, having kids, like I can understand that too. We went through some really tough times as a city, and you got to do what you got to do to you know provide for your family and and feed your kids. So I, I can look back on it and understand it. Um, but at the time, it was like, man, what the hell's wrong with these guys? You yeah, know, I, like I wouldn't do yeah. anything else. I would never do anything else. This was it. Uh, the only other thing else I ever thought about doing was the military. You know. I, I can't work at a desk. So these guys going to leave the fire department, I'm like, 
how did you make a fire and want to do anything else with your life? Like, you know, but I, I look back on it now and, and say, okay, I can understand it some, but I was just blessed throughout my career. When I was a, a firefighter, a driver, a captain, I've always worked with really bought in people for the most part. I've had a few as a captain that, that weren't. And uh, that, that was a challenge for me because I'd never worked with people that didn't have that drive and weren't fire department, fire department, fire department, 24 hours a day, you know? Yeah. And so that made an issue for me because I hadn't experienced it before. Uh, but, but yeah, it, I saw it and it aggravated me and, uh, it, but it didn't affect me. And like right. now, now it's like, I see it and it's, it's still, it's not really us. So it's, who are we running with? What's it doing to them? You know, now you might have a second in company coming to us and not just the high rise district, but we're first due to the port. So we might be going on a ship and these guys, they're constantly, if they're losing people nonstop, they haven't really got experience in a house fire yet, let alone, we got to go, you know, seven decks down in a big ship. Um, and and it, it affects how you're thinking on, on that point that those guys that have been there with you through those, those bad fires or been in that bad hallway with you and you knew they weren't going to leave. They, they had your back. They're going to back you up. Um, you know, seeing them kind of rolling through and, and it, it gets replaced with somebody who rolls through and then they're starting out new again in those companies. Like it affects you that way. Uh, but it, it just kind of, it just kind of drives me crazy to see us train people that just go to other departments. Right. So you, you mentioned before it didn't affect you as much because you worked for a boss that tuned all that out and you fell in love with his style, right? You, you were, you fell in love with the job because of mentors like him. Yeah. How influential is that on you and the type of officer you've now type of firefighter you've become, but then the type of officer you've become as well. How important was that? And how influential was it? Uh, I think it's huge uh, because I see a lot of things I do are very similar to him. And I think that that's true when you have, especially mentors that have a big impact on you, but anyone you follow, anyone who's a leader for you, you're going to mold and develop things that you've learned from them. Uh, and some of the biggest things I do, I learned from him. Like his, he used to tell me all the time, when you promote, you got to be the same person every day. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. And it's not just that, that tough guy, like, Hey, feelings are left at the door. Like, I know people got stuff going on. I might have stuff going on. I went through some stuff. And, um, but when I come through the door, even though I got this on my mind, I still have to be the same person to them every day. They have to have that consistency in their leadership. Uh, he also told me like, we're not going to do the same jobs at a fire, but you're not going to outwork me. And your goal should be to, to never let me outwork you. And I carry that with me. Like we we might not do the same thing, but I, I'm going to be working. And I'm going to be that drive, like, okay, he's working. I got to be working. And my guys eat that up. Like, they they work and work and work. Like, you got – we got – I got one guy that I legit have to say, hey, man, it's time for you to go take a break. Because you see it in his face. Like, he's he's going to work until he drops, you know, because he's not going to say, I, I give up. Like, he's at a fire, and he wants to be the one working. And so, I've heard you talk about this. You out – you have to out – give me the saying. It's yeah. you outwork your people, and your people outwork you. Yep. He, he used to always just tell me I, when we go to a fire, it might not be the same job, but I'm going to do everything I can to outwork you and you need to do everything you can to outwork me. That's fantastic. Yeah. Cause that sets the tempo. Yep. I mean, that, I, that creates the level of expectation within the company. Yeah. And, and it made me like, as a young guy, it wasn't just this boss that was like, Hey, young kid, go do this. You know, he was working. And right. if you're working that hard, like that's even more drive for me to say, man, I want to be like this guy. He, no, he's not going to outwork me. You know, I, I'm, 
I'm going to give him everything I've got. You know, and uh, I'll give you another story with him of just the person he was is he was on a time swap one day. He, he retired, he was getting close to retirement, but he retired. He lives up in the mountains of Tennessee. And uh, he was up there looking at land that they were going to purchase and build their house on. And uh, we had a fire, it went south, like six people got burned. And I was one of them. And he called me the next day because uh, his old, his old driver at the time was a driver on the truck in the house with us. And uh, he had called him and we used to always make jokes. Anytime he was on vacation, we were going to make a fire. And uh, so he just expected that's what it was. Like sure. oh, we made a fire and, uh, and Keith called him and he was told him what happened. And he called me the next shift and he was like, man, he's apologizing to me. He's like, I feel guilty because I wasn't there. It's not that, you know, it wouldn't have happened, but I'm your boss. I'm your, I'm supposed to be there and this happened. And I knew he couldn't control it. Like, hey, we got to take vacation, you know, and sure. things are going to happen. It's not always that you did something wrong. Things are just going to happen sometimes. And, you know, some, we, we got burned a little bit, but no one got, no one's off the job. You know what I mean? Like everyone was back to work a few weeks later. It wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. Um, but he took the time to call while he's on vacation and say, hey, man, you know, this is going on. I'm sorry. We're going to, we're going to address this fire. We're going to train on it. Because uh, I was new. Like there were some signs of some things going wrong that, you know, I didn't know. I was just following yeah, and, and, and things like that. So, but it was that level of, hey, man, I'm sorry this happened to you. Like he took fault for it, even though it wasn't his fault. And he was always like that. Like he wasn't afraid to tell you he made a mistake. And, and for us to train on his mistake, because he used it as like training for my guys are going to promote. And he used to always tell us that, like, you can be frustrated with the fire department, but one day you're going to change it. I'm sitting there like, man, how does, how does one person change a 500-man job? And he said, well, I'll never see the change I influence, but I will change this job. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, we've got all these guys that are so bought in. He said, all of you are going to promote, and you're not going to lose that passion when you promote. So then you'll influence another crew, and this person will influence another crew, and this person will influence another crew. And then those people will promote and keep doing the same thing. And down the line, it's going to, you know, it's going to push out the guys that really aren't into the job and that mentality that we kind of had developed just through some, some bad things politic wise going through the city uh, that guys kind of just, they, they lost their passion because they're, they're struggling to feed their family. It happens and, everywhere. Uh, happens and, everywhere. Uh, he, he had a good way of just being able to, to drive that home to you, to not let that get to you. And I've carried that on. Um, I've had guys that were senior to me in that company that left after, you know, they got promoted or they became paramedics and went on the ambulance. And I came back and they said, Hey man, we want to go back to what we used to be. Can we come back? You know, like they didn't leave him for a reason. They got promoted or something like that or left because they got to get on an ambulance. There's no spot there. And uh, they called me back like, Hey, that's what I miss. I want to come back to that mentality. I and love taking it over. So can I come back? I love that, that your boss was that, dialed in to understand his impact and influence and the future that it holds. And, and that's the type of boss that we all talk about. I think, you know, he puts his people first, he lifts them up, he invests into the ones that are going to invest back to the job. Um, and so influential wise for you, I mean, that was the question 20 minutes ago, yeah. and it, it just keeps rolling back into that, right? I mean, Rob, were you going to say something? You look like you were hopping, but um, you know, I, I just can't foresee how when you're placed in a company like that with a boss that has that mindset, that's what we're all looking for and starving for in this business. Yep. And I, I, I'm a firm believer. People, people are looking for leadership. 
um, especially when you're new. You are looking for someone to lead you and guide you. And I tell this to, uh, to people all the time. Uh, we were on the B shift. The captain on the A shift, he's one of my biggest mentors now. Even though I've never worked for him, I've never worked on A shift. I've worked on B and C in that same firehouse as I got promoted. But, um, like, I go to him now, like, hey, man, hey, Mike, we had this fire. We did this. What do you think? He's got 30-plus years on the job. But, you know, 13 years ago, I just thought he was an asshole, you know, because he just had a different way. Yeah. And I look back now, and Mike Smith and Ray Hildreth are a lot of lot the same in a lot of ways. They have a standard, and they expect you to meet it. And if you don't, they're going to deal with it, and they're going to fix it. And you're either going to meet that standard and perform to a standard, or you're not going to be there. They just went about handling it different ways. So Mike, Mike's just more loud and in your face, you know, where Ray was more like, hey, this is, we're, we're going to have a talk about it. Mike's just going to get on you. So right. at 19, 20 years old, I was like, man, this guy's just an asshole. But now yeah. I look back and he's one of the most influential people on my career from wow. within my job, you know, because I, think- I, can, I can go back to him now and see me and him are very much alike because we have the same mindset. Like he's got 30 plus years on this job and he wants to go to a fire every day. You know, he, he loves the job and his dad was like that. His dad's on the job. He's the captain on a shift. His, his brother's the captain on C shift. We're all in the same company. So it's a kind of a cool dynamic because there's two brothers there as officers. But, uh, but I look back and I'm like, it's just personalities, how they dealt with things different, but that drive, like his guys don't want to work for anybody, but him, just like we didn't want to work for anybody, but Ray. Right. And now I go to him still like, Hey man, 30 plus years of experience. We had this. What do you think? What would you have done? And, and can get that draw on that experience of 30 years. And he's only been in two firehouses. You know, he was at engine eight, which is a mile and a half up the street from us. And engine three is a captain. Yeah. Awesome. Engine eight, the driver and a firefighter and engine three is a captain. So it's all in that area we work. So to have him to draw on that experience, it, it's pretty influential too. And he'll take the time. And that's the big thing. Just taking the time to invest in people. You know, he sees, he's got a few years left. Uh, he's got seven years left on the job and he'll be, probably getting out of here through retirement and he knows he's he's going to leave an impact like there there's a few people on our job that know that they're but their personalities don't like to talk about it but they know the level of influence they have they know they're going to be talked about for 30 years and uh, all of them are getting out of here pretty soon and they they do they take a lot of pride and you can at least they don't say it's their pride but you can see it they take pride in developing not just good firefighters but realizing they're going to be gone and the younger bosses are going to have to fill their role and taking the time with them as well. Even though I'm not working for him, but he takes the time to help continue to develop me because he's not going to be here for only you know, only seven more. Yeah, years. but they're setting you up to fill those shoes. I mean, you right. got big shoes to fill, but they've yeah. laid the foundation for you guys to yeah. understand how to fill, how to step in those shoes and then make it even bigger, make a bigger yeah. footprint. So, yeah. Rob, what were you going to say? So two things I got is I love the setting the standard, but I also like Anthony, you talking about, because like when you're, when you're pitching back and you're saying to somebody, Hey, I was at this fire. What do you think? Like so many guys are afraid of that vulnerability mm-hmm. because they might not get what they want. Like, and I think when they ask, sometimes people are like in their minds are like, Oh, like good job. Yeah. You really slayed the people. But like, like the, I remember I asked somebody once, I was like, Hey man, what did you think about this fire the other day? And like, they totally destroyed me. They're like, yeah, I think this sucked. I think you guys screwed up on this. And like, you know, hopefully it improves next time because this fire started somehow and, you know, whatever else. And like, we had a conversation about it and it was uncomfortable as 
all hell for me, but like being able to say that because, you know, there's a plenty of times in history where people are like, no, you're doing great. You're doing great. Like these guys will, they'll, they'll stand the test of time and an event happens and they fold instantaneously. Yeah. So that ability for you to go to somebody who you've never even really worked for and say like, Hey, what would you have done? This is like kind of, I think that open line of communication is so important and it's awesome to have. And like I said, just having the standards, the standards are, are there for a reason and it's not a minimum, you know? Yeah. I think, and this is just, again, my personal opinion. If you want someone to mentor you or you're looking for someone to, to provide some leadership, you can't just want the good. I don't go to them and, and say, Hey, tell me I did good at this fire. I want them to tell me, yeah, you guys did good, but you could have done this better because mm -hmm. we, we didn't have that, that outside perspective. Uh, we just saw what we did and may, maybe what we thought we did didn't have the overall impact on the overall scene that we thought it was going to. And we couldn't see that. We just saw success on our end. Um, and I want them to point that out. Uh, Steve Robertson's a huge mentor for me, not even for my job, Columbus, Ohio. I've never been to Columbus, Ohio, but Steve's a huge mentor for me. Good friend. He said it on a podcast like last week. He brought my name up specifically. Like, yeah, I get on Anthony Rowett all the time. And he does. Like, he, he – I and he knows – like, he said it as part of that. Like, if you're going to mentor somebody, you got to be in there for the hard things too. You've got to tell them the truth. And a lot of the stuff he gets on me isn't the fire department. It's like, hey, you're, you're missing too much time with your kids. Don't don't go to this this many conferences. You're, you're missing too much time with your kids. And he'll get on me in a heartbeat. Um but you got to have that too. And, and that when I go to guys like Todd Edwards, Kurt Isaacson, uh, Steve, Ray McCormick, I want them to tell me the truth. I don't want them to just tell me, Hey, you're, yeah, you're doing good, bro. Like, I want you, yeah, if I'm doing good, tell me I'm doing good. Like that, everyone wants to hear that part, but I also want you to address what I need to improve. If you don't want to hear that part, you don't want someone to actually mentor you or you're not actually looking for leadership. I agreed with you hundred percent. Like yeah. you said before too, it's, people are looking for leadership. People are looking for a strong influence to help them grow personally. Some people shy away from it, Rob. You mentioned it before, right? Like yeah. a lot of people are asking for a reaffirmation that uh, what a great job they did. Meanwhile, they didn't, right? They're stroking their ego or they're trying to prove to themselves um, that they're better than they are or they perform better than they did. And, uh, and so it's, it's this fake testimonial. And a lot of people are afraid of um, conflict. A lot of people shy away from real conversations because typically when you, you can sense the conversation and you know the individual. And when they're, when they're asking and seeking for some affirmation, um, typically it's to stroke their own ego. And a lot of times, unless it's genuine and you know the individual well, right? A lot of times that's where that mentorship comes in is when you can lean on somebody and say, listen, I wasn't hundred percent confident there. You got, you got something for me. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about this. That that's an individual that wants to be better. They want to better themselves. And the only way you can do that is by surrounding yourself with people that have either, you know, more knowledge or more experience or have uh, gone through the, that same situation once before or twice before and have some, uh, you know, practicality to fall back on. I mean, that that's how you better yourself in everything, not just firefighting, but everything. Like you said, Anthony, about your kids, being home, you don't need to be at every conference. Like those are words from a mentor of yours that probably struck a chord, I bet, and uh, and so on, because I know it would with me. Yep. And, but 
it's what you gotta you you gotta want that if you want improvement you want somebody to be straight with you but it yeah. comes back it, again it all goes back to like the the people i've had in my career in my life like i had someone make it very clear to me like this job isn't about you it, you're gonna perform to a standard so that standard comes before my feelings if they tell me something like hey you screwed this up i don't want to hear that but i need to because yeah. my feelings really don't matter if this fire didn't go as well as it should have, you know, and he made that very clear. Like I've told people before, like we were going through, they're talking about layoffs. My class was on the chopping block. The other guy that was junior to me, we knew his class was gone. If they approved layoffs, his class was gone. And we didn't know how many from my class were going to get laid off. And he pulled us out of the firehouse because that's what he always did. And I kind of follow that. Like, because especially if you've been slow, it creates a lot of problems between companies and the house, you know, because we're making a hundred medical runs and they're not. So yeah. we, the engine and the ladder start to have problems until you make a fire. It makes everything better. But yeah. he would, he would take us out of the firehouse and we go to a spot we always trained at. So we're like ready to train. He's like, Hey, let's talk. And we're all like, gosh, shit. Nobody wants to just talk right now. We got enough going on. We're letting the politics of the city get to us. And he was like, look, it's not about that. You can worry about that on your days off. But when you're here, we're about the people of this neighborhood and we don't work in a good neighborhood. So, and he made that clear. Like these people don't have insurance. Understand that. Like this, this idea, some people say of all, oh, they got insurance. He was like, even if you believe in that, understand no one here does outside of these high rise buildings. No one has insurance. If we don't do our job, whatever we don't save, they don't get, no one's going to come write them a check and replace it. So it always from like day one, it was like, Hey, I might lose my job. Like, yeah, worry about that on your off days because the standard of performance is more important than your feelings. So that drove that home still to where it's like, if I have someone I'm going to, and I look to you as a mentor, like, it's not about my feelings. If I, there's a way for me to improve, then yeah, we need to address that. Yeah, I love that. Standard. I love it. No, that's a, that's a great point and some words of wisdom there for sure. I mean, dialed in. Go to work, you're dialed in. Um, I love that. Talk about, you mentioned a few names, right? Steve Robertson, Ray McCormick, um, and so on, right? Um, I know you're very big into conferences. I know you're into the, the networking, the camaraderie, the, the, the hands-on physicalness of it talk to me about how important these conferences are and how did you get so involved and so entrenched in working with some of the some of the big names the influential names of our of our job um so like for me the biggest thing for me about a conference uh and it still does it but especially when i first started going to them uh was man it was a reset it really was just like a mental reset from the negative going on in the job you know dealing with the politics dealing with we were going through like seven straight years of no pay raises. And I hear that a lot from places because we don't have big unions here, like right to, we're right to work. So like, right. oh, you didn't get your cost of living? I'm like, no, bro, when I say no pay raises, we didn't get cost of living, we didn't get a merit raise, we got nothing. If insurance went up, our paycheck went down, you know? And uh, so mentally it was just like, guys are getting just burned out on the job and, and you're having a hard time coming to work every day and just being motivated with what's going on in the city. And our leadership wasn't the best at the time at the top. And uh, so the first conference I ever went to was MAPSI. Like, hey, it's a five-hour drive. The classrooms are free. And the hands-on was like 80 bucks a day, something like that. It was like, hell yeah, I'm in. Let me go check this out. I've never been sure. to a conference before. Let's check it out. Because, like, my job, we're the biggest thing in the area. So for a long time, we had, like, this – we had our walls. We're boxed in, and, like, we got the mobile way, and that's it. Like, we do our thing. We don't get outside of our walls. And uh, another guy was like, man, I went to this conference. I think you'd like it. So I go. And uh, I go to Mapsy and I was like, man, I like it, you know, because it brought back like that 
I grew up in a different region. So I did see there's a different way, but at the same time, I understood like, yeah, we're not the FDNY. We might get a lot of people on a first alarm compared to a lot of people, but we don't have, we can't do what the FDNY does based on numbers with a lot sure. of things, you know? And, but I saw this other way. I got to see Todd Edwards speak from Atlanta. Okay. Atlanta's bigger than us, but still Southeast they're built similar things like this. And I, I just, man, I fell in love with it because I came back and it was like, man, I'm in. Like, it reset me. I didn't give a shit what the, the dumbasses were doing anymore. Like, and my guys, I had good guys, like I said. So they were like, hey, Cap, I know I couldn't go, but what'd you learn? Yeah. You know, because I just made captain the first conference I went to. And uh, it was like, man, what'd you learn? We want to learn it. And that was like that reset. So now I get to like, hey, if something's going on, I know in, in a month or so I'm going to go get a reset because I'm going to get around nothing but guys that are, most of them are there on their own dime. They took money from their family's bank account to go be there. They right. are ate up. They, they love the job. And that's just a reset. And then what you get by like learning from someone else's experience that maybe they, they have experiences that your job is new to, you know, maybe your job, your city's growing. They're starting to build, say you're, you're used to single family dwellings and, you know, two story row apartments, but now you're starting to get these five, six, seven story podium construction. Well, if you can learn from a guy like Mo Davis or Clyde Gordon in Houston, they get to deal with that all the time. Right. So what you can gain from their 30 years of experience dealing with something you're about to start having to deal with and you have minimal experience, you can learn a lot. So that's what made me fall in love with it. And then I just, I just lucked up into, in, into a situation where I met people that were very influential, not just to me, but are, are very influential in the fire service as a whole. And, uh, been lucky enough that that they took me under their wing, you know, and there's nothing I did. They just they just took me under their wing and they they brought me along and been teaching me along the way. Guys like Steve, guys like Ray that I get to be around. Todd Edwards is huge. For they me. recognize they recognize the drive, right? Yeah. Nobody's going to, you know, a lot of people go to conferences and people go for all different reasons. But there is a large percentage of people that go to conferences that are there for one reason, and that's to better themselves. So they deliver a better product to the people they serve. Yeah. And uh, I think guys that have uh, the ability to have a stage and an audience based upon their hard work, longevity, um, experience, they recognize the need to bring along the next generation. And um, for you, I mean, you're a young guy still, no? Yeah. I mean, you got, you got all the time in the world. Oh, yeah, I got, I got a while to go here. But it's exciting, right? Because I what, where the value is in, in – what that's all about is the recognition of your drive and desire to be better and to pass that along unselfishly yeah. to the next generation. And so that's why you've been able to get involved. And talk to me about what that's done for you in your career and how you handle you yourself, broke, not just you as a boss, up. but as a firefighter, but as a person. Are you there? Yeah, you broke up. What, what was your question? Talk, you to me about, talk to me about how that has personally shaped you as a, as a person, as a boss, as a firefighter, to be able to uh, have the experiences you're having with the network of friends that you've made. Um, what has that done for you? Uh, it, it's done a lot, especially more probably personally than, than the fire department. Uh, yeah. Because like a lot of the conversations I get to have with these guys, like, yeah, you, if you get to sit down with Ray McCormack at a fire conference, you, you want to hear about his fires. Like he, he's got this legendary career and you want to talk about it. But when he, you're talking, we end up talking more about family. Todd Edwards, I talk more about family. Steve Robertson, it's almost always about family. And it's not just talking like, 
um, you know, always that advice, like, Hey man, you're screwing up. You're, you're missing too much time. Like I know Todd's family. I know Steve's family. They know my right. wife, they know my kids. So it's, it's that true. We, the conferences have created these actual true bonds, these, these family bonds. Um, but what it's done is like, I know, like I recognized it that some things I was doing when I was really young. So, uh, or on the job, I should say, I mean, I was young too, but so like that captain I worked for, he went to the training staff for a little while. He had to have neck surgery and all this went to the training staff and he'd call me and all my family still lived in New Jersey. Like that my parents moved down here now and they retired down here, but they were all in New Jersey. So I'd see him like once every four months. And, uh, he calls me, he's like, Hey, we got this, this engine stuff going on at the training center. I want your help. Can you be here next week? My mom was flying in. I hadn't seen her in four months. And I'm like, yeah, whatever you need, Cap. So she flies to town, but I spend eight hours a day at the training center on my off days because it was fire department, fire department, fire department. Sure, so I sure. did start realizing like things like that. Uh, like before I got married, like my girlfriend from high school moved here, like, but I'm picking the fire department over her. And I started to recognize that I did that. And I was just passion. I heard uh, Sean Duffy say this passion can be blinding. Um, and Todd specifically said, yeah, that's, that's Rowett, you know? Uh, but my passion for the job blinded me to how I was putting the job before my family. Um, and I'd recognize that, but then like to have Steve say, Hey man, maybe it's not as bad, but you are, you're still getting to that point. Tone it back. Don't let your kids think this, this place comes before them, you know? So it's developed me there personally, but then hearing like you hear Ray talk about leadership stuff in his class, but then you get to go up to the room and talk to him about it afterwards and, and delve more into where his leadership was at being a boss so long in New York city and being able to take some of that back and say, yeah, we're a smaller job. So we know pretty much everybody on the job. We've got this really close bond and you know, it, it's just, I guess more personal because you can know everybody and it's like, Hey, don't get to the point that you still have to be the boss, you know? And he was the first person I've heard say that. Then I've heard Steve say it since like, at the end of the day, don't be afraid to be a boss. And we had guys like say that, but it was still, it wasn't to that extent. Like they're like, hey, draw the line in the sand and all that. End of the day, they're like, hey, it's simple. End of the day, be a boss, you know? Yeah. So, th so that helps with that too, because with us, a lot of people come from the city. So you have a crew and there's crews on the job where they all went to high school together, all of them. The captain, the driver, the firefighters, they all went to school together. They have that bond. And it's like looking at that, like, you got to be the boss. And then I look back at the guys that have had that are bosses through my whole career that are retired now, or they were bosses when I was there, retired guys that are still there. The ones that truly have the respect of their, of their guys are the ones that are bosses. They, there's no doubt in their mind. They, they can be friendly with you, but they are going to draw that line in the sand and let you know they are your boss. Yeah, that's and that's the way like, it needs to be. And hearing and Ray put it for those words was like, was like, Hey, Okay, that, that's where I need to be because my job, I hired on young and my job's young. The city had grown some. So a lot of us got promoted early, you know? Yeah. So having that, being a young boss, it was hard to say, especially when guys are considerably older than you and you're their boss. And to hear Ray say, end of the day, you're be their boss. And then it went back to like that. Okay, I look back at myself, like end of the day, if you're looking for leadership, you're looking for leadership. It doesn't matter who they are, or how old they are. If you respect them, and you're looking for leadership, they got to be that leader. And that means, yeah, I can be friends with them. I'm friends with a lot of my guys, but it's very clear. This is where that line is in the sand, and I am your boss. I, um, 
I appreciate so many things in the last couple minutes of this conversation. One, um, the importance of recognizing priorities. Um, I think all too often, most of us tend to put the fire department before a lot of times everything else. Um, and that becomes, and I know in my house, that's a struggle. Um, I know, you know, um, it, it's, it's a balancing act. So I appreciate you talking about that a little bit because I think a lot of people that are going to listen to this are really going to dial in on that part of this and understand that we all recognize that. And so um, it's okay to uh, sometimes put the job to the back seat for a few minutes to, to make sure that the priorities in your life know that they're the priority. And then the other thing too is I love when we interview guys and they're, they're so open to talk about how they are mentored and how they have seeked out people in their own careers to help them be a better boss, a better person. And you're talking, you're hitting about that. And, and you know, to be a young boss, but you have the ability, you have a network that you can lean on if you need um, some steering or some, or some assistance. And I love that. That is just, it, it speaks to the, it speaks to the person and their character when they can give credit outside of themselves and, and, and talk about how they share and pass on their experiences and management styles and how they operate and all these things based upon the conversations and relationships that they've built over the years. It's so important. Yeah. And I try to always do that because man, I, I, I get the fact that like, I'm not where I'm at solely because of me. Did I have the drive to get there? Yes. But would I be here if it wasn't for those people? No, I wouldn't. Would I write articles if it wasn't for those people? No, I wouldn't because I've had people help me, you know, become a better writer. But when I wrote that first article, it was because that boss told me to do it. We had developed the engine class for our department. And he said, the things we're teaching, we're not, we're obviously not going to be the only people realizing that they need to address these topics, write it down. And he's yeah. like, no, I'm not going to do that. He said, well, I'm telling you. And he basically said, it's a direct order and I'm your boss. And that, that, <laughs> that's right. and, and all, in all honesty, that's how the first article I wrote came to be was he saw that I could do it and was questioning myself and just said, Hey, I got the faith in you. You're going to do it. That's and fantastic. It grew, they grew from there. And anytime I teach, I would, I have a slide with a list of names and I tell everybody like, none of this is mine. None of this. I didn't create anything. These guys taught it to me, but I also say, Hey, there, I think social media is great because it's made information very accessible, but there's no longer that vetting process. Correct. So, we so here's my, so I say, here's my list. If you go read the, the information out there from these guys, they are vetted. Like if you're looking for that resource, these guys are vetted, you know, and I, I put out a lot of names. So I'm an engine guy, but I got mentors that are truck guys. You know, sure. and I'll tell you, like, you still need to be well-rounded. And I work in a system where we're in double house. You know, I'm in a double house. We've got a lot of people coming. We typically work as dedicated engine and truck. But still, like, you need to be well-rounded. And if you're going to be a boss, you need to well-round your people. They need to be good at truck work as well. Obviously, we do engine work 99% of the time, so they're going to be better at that. But right. they need to – they could get detailed. They could get promoted and go to a truck. They need to know it. So I look – the fact that I can call Mike Champo, Mick – these guys, Nick Esposito and ask them questions and they'll answer it. So I put that on a slide, like, Hey, if you want questions, if you got questions, reach out to these guys, whether it's engine truck, these are the guys I personally go to because their stuff is vetted. It built me. So and that's, a, and that's so random. important. That's so important for you to share because too often the next generation doesn't know the influences. And so for you to pass, you know, pay that forward, if you will, by pointing that out, 
you know, you might set somebody on a, on a path to find uh, a series of Mike Chempa articles, which he didn't know about until you mentioned right. him as a mentor of your own. So I think that's important. And we need to do more of that is to talk about the influences, you know, people that are making a difference, you're out there teaching and you're going to these conferences and, you know, there's a lot of information that you put into your own lectures and, and talks that are stemmed directly from work of others. And you cite that. And, yeah. and so it's important to do that so that the, the, the next generation, the generation after understand and see that this has been a groundwork laid for many, many years. And you and Anthony Road is building upon the blocks that were left, you know, that were there before right. him. I love that. I love that. So let's, let's pivot a little bit, right? I mean, it, an incredible career. It, it's uh, the influences you have and so on. You mentioned Todd Edwards a couple of times. Um, Rob and I, we're going to be uh, hopefully getting together with him in the end of October, which I'm super excited about. And we'll get that out um, and sell on some information. Um, but I know he's been a big influence on you and has yeah. become a dear friend. Um, I know, uh, I, I don't know a lot about it and I'm looking forward to my conversation with him as well, but uh, his breaking barriers um, campaign, if you will, training uh, program uh, and so on. I know that that touches very close to home for you. I'd love for you to kind of talk about the program a little bit, talk about your own experiences and why it's so important to you and, uh, and so on. All right. So one, it's like one of the biggest things for me in my career is getting to be a part of this just because of my personal experience. So I had known Todd for a few years and he'd become one of my biggest mentors outside of my job already. Like I go to him a lot and he comes to me and he's like, he texts me one day I'm at work and he's like, Hey bro, I'm going to send you something. I've been having this idea and I want to do a thing called breaking barriers. It's going to be special needs awareness for first responders. And I have a, my oldest son has down syndrome and autism, but at the time we didn't know the autism. We just knew down syndrome. He's like, I'm going to send you the down syndrome side of the class, the outline of what I want to cover. He said, I'm not putting this class together and presenting it until I have your approval. And I was like, what? You got like 30 plus years retired. He's like, but you have the experience with that. You have fire department experience and personal experience with the Down syndrome side. I want your, your approval to, to teach it. Not that he needed it, but he, you know, he wanted that input. So I read through it and I'm able to call him back and say, hey, man, I think all of it's really good. I wouldn't focus on this part, maybe add this as like identifying features, you know? Right. Um, I think it was like the lack of the nasal bridge. And it was like, hey, because for me, I spot it that quick, but like, that's an easy thing to spot. So add that, don't focus on this. And, and he did. So he had built this class his, and he'll tell you, his oldest son is on the autism spectrum and his wife had worked for the nonprofit uh, Down Syndrome, National Down Syndrome Congress. So that's where the two topics came from. Then he reached out to me. I ended up being a part of it, get to help him teach it. And uh, so for me, it's like, I look at it two ways. One, I'm a part of the fire department and Todd was able to recognize that there's this aspect we're missing, we're lacking, and we need to be better because there's this aspect of the population we don't even understand. But then as the parent of a kid that has Down syndrome and autism, being a part of this program lets me do something for him too because like I've got to do it locally. Todd comes next week. Uh, we had done a... Um, uh, benefit last year after HROC because he was in Pensacola already. We took like a day off and uh, we came to, to Mobile downtown and we we did a seminar for like $35, real cheap. And we each did a class and then we did Breaking Barriers. And all the money was donated to the Mulheron home, which is a special needs uh, resident home here in the city that awesome. our, union, our union does a lot of work with. 
uh, Jake P, uh, was it Jake Peavy, the baseball player, and the band Three Doors Down fund it. But our union goes out, takes all the residents Christmas shopping every year, and they give them they just pay for the, the presents, and then the union gets a, a you know a Santa to wrap them and deliver the presents on Christmas Eve. So me and Todd talked about it, and we were like, we're gonna do it. We'll donate all the money to the home. So the Mobile Firefighters Union takes care of the residents. Let's give the home some money for some supplies. So we did that and the fire chief happened to come. Our chief of department came to the class and he didn't sit through the whole day, but he sat through breaking barriers. And his, so my firehouse downtown is a whole city block and we have half for a firehouse, half is a museum and all the admin offices. So his office is in my firehouse. When I first came on, we were in the same station, just different shifts. So we kind of have a friendship, you know, and he comes down, he's like, hey, how do I get in touch with that Todd guy? And I was like, what you mean chief? He's like, we need that class. I'm gonna bring it here. I was like, okay, here's his number. And uh, he starts next week. He's coming three separate times, once in September, once in October, once in November, and doing that, that class, breaking barriers for our whole job. Plus the police department's coming. I think some of the local EMS uh, companies are coming. So like for me, I've got to see a payoff now, like that can benefit my kid because all of these people could Absolutely. one day run on my kid and a little bit of understanding being able to understand what he's got going on, maybe it helps him. And they're able to deal with him better or fix his problem without having, you know, I think it's really big for police departments. Like I know on, on in our city years back, I just moved here. A guy with special needs got tased just because they didn't recognize that's what it was because he was locked in the bathroom. So when they finally got him to come out, they right. just tased him. All that was is understanding. They didn't understand what's going on. And I think, like that's come full circle for me now because I got to be a part of the program, but now I get to see it locally really help everyone that could run on my kid. Um, but so what it is, Down syndrome and autism is the focus and it goes through, uh, it's not just me that was a part of it. He's done like 300 interviews of people with Down syndrome, with autism, caregivers. Uh, I know he's interviewed my son's therapist uh, just to get a therapist view of how they deal with things and what they look for. Um, and he's put all that into this program and just shares it. And he focuses on what we're going to deal with. The biggest thing we have to identify and autism is a lot harder because there's not the physical trait. Like right. Down syndrome, if you know what to look for, okay, this is where I'm at now. This patient might have Down syndrome. Now here's what I can expect. And autism, maybe you recognize some, some characteristics, you know, and you say, okay, maybe this person's on the autism spectrum. Let's have some more understanding of things that are going to set this off and, and create a complete lack of trust from them to us, and then how to communicate with them. You know, one of the biggest things he talks about in the class is all the people he's interviewed have said, just don't baby talk me. Do not talk to me like a child. And yes, I need more time. So ask me the question slowly, but if I'm 20 years old, ask me like I'm 20 years old, not right, like I'm yeah. five. Right. And then give me one question at a time and then give me time to process it and answer it before you ask me something else. Don't just ramble on, but so yes, I have Down syndrome, I have autism, give me this so I can understand it, but don't, don't belittle me. Don't disrespect me by talking down to me. And then, so all of my guys have had this class and I see it come full circle. So we make a call, a 53 year old female choking. That all we get is one choking, which most times you go to, they're not choking, right? So we get there, the dad standing in the yard, he just waves us in like nonchalant. So we're like, okay, they got the food out, you know? doesn't say a word, just starts walking through the house. And I make the big mistake of walking in by myself because my crew's helping the ambulance get their stretcher out, which is, I'm a shit magnet, so nothing goes well when that happens. <laughs> and I get through the house 
and he doesn't say anything. He's just nonchalant walking through the house. We get almost to the back where the kitchen is and the mom is screaming, save my baby, save my baby, save my baby. So now I'm expecting a baby, you know, and we get there, the mom's sitting on the floor and got a 53 year old woman with Down syndrome sitting in between her legs, trying to get food out of her throat. She's choking on and she's unconscious. And it's like, oh shit, you know, like this just got real. And uh, so we go through the whole thing. We end up, we get the food out and she comes back around. She starts talking to us and not everybody there that day was our crew. We had some detail people in that haven't had this class, but we are sitting there and they say, uh, we're sitting there talking to her and the mom's like, you know, I, I turned around cause they're taking care of her. I said, Hey, what's uh, what kind of medical history does she have? And it may, I already know the down syndrome. Like I've spotted that. And she says, my daughter has down syndrome. I said, okay, what else? And something on somebody's face, I don't know what it was, did something, but the mom comes back and just yells, my daughter's mentally retarded. So we had to talk about that afterwards because we, something happened there that was not a good situation for them because that word, that word is not going to be used by a parent at all. Okay. So I'm like, okay, there's something we got to talk about. Anthony, real quick. Why is a, why is a parent not going to use that word? Because it's used derogatorily now. So back in like the sixties, right. That was a medical term, the word mental retardation, but now everything's just become retarded or he's retarded or it's retarded. It's got a negative connotation to it. So as a parent, it's down syndrome. It's just down syndrome. Nobody's going to use that wording anymore. So right there, it clicked in my head, like, Oh, something just went South. I didn't see what it was. I'll deal with this when we get back. Um, But as she comes around, she's talking to us. She starts to where she'll only talk to me. She will not talk to anybody else on scene. She's holding my hands and we, I can get her to the ambulance, but she absolutely refuses to get on a stretcher to the point the mom's crying and she says, we'll just take her. She's not going to trust you guys. And what we recognized is everyone that talked to her as a child that talked down to her and did baby talk. She literally stuck her tongue out at him, shook her head. And she would, she acted like you did not exist again. Every time you started to speak to her on the call, she turned her head like you weren't there. Uh, and it wasn't that I'm better or know anything. I just deal with it every day. You know, it's just my normal life for me. It's down syndrome. Okay, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just normal. And we get back to the station. And one of my guys, he's had the class. He's like, cat, man, I'm sorry. And I was like, what's, what's wrong, bro? He's like, man, I baby talked to her and I knew better. And I was like, yeah, but man, things are going to happen. Like, understand, especially with, a, to me, especially adults, because a kid's still a kid. But especially with adults, when you're dealing with the information Todd's giving you in this program, one of the biggest things is to recognize and understand you're going to be uncomfortable. It's going to make you uncomfortable. Right now, how do you deal with it when you know you're going to be uncomfortable? So then a few months go by, we same situation. We run on this, the same woman, but the family's got the food out before we get there. And uh, we get there. We have all of our people now. No one detail come out of the station. Everybody there has been through this class and they make like, we know what happened last time. So they're very like controlled about it. They speak to her like she was 53 years old. And she was like, we're like, hey, you want to go to the hospital? Okay. Walk straight to the ambulance, gets an ambulance, sits on a stretcher. And yeah. the only difference between the calls was the way people spoke to it. Um, so to me, that's the biggest information he puts out, you know. But uh, the, the program is so slapped full of information between autism and Down syndrome of just those two things. I mean, there's more to it, but two things. How do I identify it? Now you've identified it. How do I communicate with you? How do I build that trust? You know, is it, 
you know, autism, are they, they might be very sensitive to sounds. Maybe we turn the radios down. They might, you know, we, we might be overcrowding them. We might be overstimulating. Maybe one person talks to them and everyone else backs up, you know, things like that. Uh, and, and just getting an understanding. And he goes just deep into this topic. And like the first time he presented it here, the other captain in my firehouse on my shift from the truck, he goes to it and we get done. And he's like, bro, he's just a, he's a great instructor. He said, he took a topic that makes me uncomfortable, told me I've done it wrong for 21 years and I'm sitting here wanting more. Yeah. You know, and because it is, I mean, even taking the class, the topic can be uncomfortable for people. And he just presents it in a way where you're like, okay, we've got to do better. And or you, you start recognizing things towards the fire side of like, you know, there's a thing with, with autism where it makes people feel trapped. And if they can get out and run, they just wander off. So people aren't being bad parents. It's not neglect, but you might run into a house where they lock their kids in their bedrooms at night. And it's not to be a bad parent. It is for their safety. Yes. You may run into some do- some locks at the very top of the doors that you're going to have to force and you don't expect it on a residential door, but it's going to be there because they're trying to keep their kids safe and from getting out. So now that affects us. We can see that on a medical run. That's going to affect our fire ground operation. One, maybe they have that high lock on the door. They're, maybe that slows you down because you didn't expect it forcing the door getting in. But then you get inside and it's not an unlocked hollow core door anymore. you got a solid door with locks on it locked to a bedroom. You know, that might change your perspective yeah. of what your past experiences are in single family dwellings. And they're not doing it to be a bad parent. It's 100% for the protection of their kids. And uh, you just have to learn to expect that. And then if you know that information, you might make a medical run and say, hey, they got a 10 year old with, you know, he's on the autism spectrum and you, you interact with the, you know, the kid and you say, okay, he might have, you know, he's pretty severe or something like that. And you, uh, you have to recognize that. And now you just have that in your mind. Like we might run into these situations, you know, I think really just one of the key things. So my own history with this is one of our volunteers. who I'm very close with his son is down syndrome, Zachary. I learned so much and I learned so much just through them about my own ignorance and even my humor and what I thought was funny previously until Terry was like, Hey, that's not funny. Um, and it's a very sobering experience all of a sudden to have this, just pop up but uh when it comes to dealing on ems calls fire calls you know, whatever the case whatever the call for service is you can quickly take a misstep without realizing it and it's not just tipping a domino it's slamming your hand right into it and it's very difficult to remove the dominoes in front to stop them all from falling and like i'm i'm ecstatic that i'm sorry but um you know, it, it's just, it's one of those things where you really do need to pay attention because it's not like, this is an, it's the example of it's not about you kind of, kind of thing going forward. The other thing is, I think, and I don't know if you guys have experienced it in what you've been doing in the fire service is the amount of, like in New York, we had an issue with group homes and we had an issue where we had some pretty catastrophic fires. We had some loss of life, like crews went inside to do effect rescues and they were met with, you know, folks who were actively resisting them. And like you said, the, the locks and the doors, that's going to be in a, a facility. I know like one of the things when you said the locks on the doors, like high up, we also see that in migrant housing. So for migrant workers, they'll lock their family in. So like it's, but it's another thing where you could be thinking something completely else and this just could be, a family protecting their, their, their child and loved one. So it, huge, huge benefit. I'm 
Yeah, I think when you guys get down there next month, you're you're really going to enjoy that. I mean, he, yeah. I said he's great in a lot of things he's doing, but what he's doing with that, uh, I think it's really going to have an impact, and not just for the fire service. I think it's going to be first responders as a whole, because we're not the only ones that need it. Right. You know, like with him coming here, the police department's getting involved. You know, and they this city has had that happen before, but just a lack of understanding going and turning the situation really far south. And uh, I think he's just going to do a lot for that community through this program. And the part for us through the fireside or the, the first responder aspect is only one half of the program. He also has a half of the program that's for the families where he'll try to come in and get the fire department involved to make them more comfortable and explain what we do. So now the parents have a good understanding of what, you know, we're not doing anything, you know, to treat them different because, a lot of times those parents are already in that mindset. They don't feel like their kid's going to get the fair shake uh, just through mm -hmm. past experiences, you know? And he, so now the parents have a good understanding of how this is going to roll if we, if we have to run on them, but they also have given that, that child or adult that opportunity to get in a fire truck, maybe get in an ambulance and sit on the stretcher, you know, and gain some comfort with it so that it's not this scary situation to them if something's going on. You know, Anthony, talk to me, talk to me real quick. I mean, this is, I mean, I can hear it in your, in your voice, the passion you have for this. And obviously it's because it really impacts you on right. not just the emergency service level, but obviously your family and right. so on. I mean, how important is this top? I mean, this, it's so important, obviously it's so important, but it's so, um, I have to think it's incredibly rewarding for you too, right? Yep. I mean, as, as a parent with a special needs child, um, to see training being offered and developed so that your child and your family might have a better experience, God forbid an emergency happens, is just, I, I have to think, overwhelmingly incredible that yep. this type of training now exists and that it's recognized. Yeah, and not, not just that it exists, but man, I see like a lot of people, when they schedule the class, they are legitimately excited to see it come. Um, and like we, when we do the class, like we did it, I helped them do it at uh, Command Officer Boot Camp in Pensacola. So you got a classroom of like 600 students getting this class at once. And afterwards, when you're up there and people are walking up to you and they're thanking you for doing it because they've got a kid with autism or they've got a kid that's like, we talk about my son's heart surgery sometimes because it was related to Down syndrome. And they're like, man, my kid had heart surgery. And it draws that connection and it's being a voice for them as well. You know, this isn't about me. It's not even about my son. It's about an entire population mm -hmm. that, that, that's kind of forgotten. And uh, to see how it's not just that people are taking the training, because there's a lot of stuff we do, especially that comes to the EMS side that we just do because we have to. Like, that's not where we're getting excited. We get excited at the fire stuff. And to see people having the same level of excitement to sit in a lecture about special needs as they do go into a class on firefighting and things like that, it, man, that's the part that's exciting because it's like, man, it, he is making a true impact that's going to impact not just my child, but a population my child belongs to. I love and it. Seeing the level of excitement, like that's what's changed to me is seeing guys that say, man, I can't wait. I saw he's in, he's in Texas right now doing it. I think it's this week or next week. And uh, no, he's here. He's in Mobile next week. So he's got to be in Texas this week. And I saw those guys posting on Facebook for weeks about how excited they were Todd was coming to do this class for, awesome. for their department and make them prepared to be able to really take care of this population 
or this subgroup of their community. You sure. Know? Uh, well, I'm, I'm certainly, they, certainly yeah, looking forward. No, I was just yeah. going to say, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Um, yeah. Meeting him and, and really hearing the message. I'm, I'm excited for that. Right. Um, it's gold, man. It really is. Let me ask you this. Uh, something that stuck out to me. You were on the weekly scrap a while back with Corley Moore, who Corley's a dear friend. And Rob and I both are. We were fortunate, both of us, to be on the scrap as well. It's just an incredible program. Corley does an incredible job. You said something on that episode that really stuck out to me. And it has to do with what we're talking about now, obviously, handling and dealing with special needs families and individuals. But you talk about something, what I put in parentheses and underlined twice because I wanted to hit on it, is words matter. Yep. And I know it has to do with how, how people interact with special needs and, and the, in that community, but also in general, how important and impactful words are. Yep. Not to go too long tooth on it and so on, but I'd love for you to talk about it a little bit because I, I think it's important. Words matter. They matter in everything we do. And um, I'd love for you to just hit on it because I enjoyed that conversation. I'd like for you to kind of hit on some key points uh, of how important that is to you. Okay. Uh, and staying on, I'll use the topic of the special needs. Sure. If yeah. You, like Rob said, one misstep, hand knocks down the whole row of dominoes. If you, as the first responder, they call you for help and you walk in there and we'll use the word we talked about earlier and you use the word retard you're going to be lucky if they don't knock you out. I mean, I'm, I, I don't personally get offended by the word retard because I understand like people say it, you know, my wife, on the other hand, anytime she hears it, she's going to take offense. But now with me, if you say it about a person, we, we have a problem now because you're not just saying it out of ignorance and meaning ignorance is you just not understanding. That's not a word anymore. And it's not funny, but you're using it to describe somebody. We've got a problem. So if you use that to a family, you've just broken the trust. Sure. They no longer trust you. They no longer trust the fire department. Um, and, and that lack of tr that, that trust is what we're built on. So words matter in that sense. And a way we tried to, to um, do this, Todd brought it up. And we did it in Pensacola was we tried to use the idea of like, I say it's the forgotten population because if you do something wrong or if you were to talk about somebody with special needs, right in front of them and you use the word retard everyone around would think you're a monster right you're a monster but if we just say it and that person isn't there it's a joke and everybody laughs right because but you wouldn't say that with other derogatory slang terms right so is it as demeaning as some of those no because it was truly a medical term but so what we did in pensacola is todd got up there and he 600 students he said, if you've used the word retard, raise your hand. And the whole hand, everyone's being honest. The whole classroom hands yeah. go up. He said, now who's got, who's got the guts to sit there and leave their hand up and admit to this whole group that they've used a slang term against another group of our population. And every single hand went down. So words matter. If you wouldn't do that with other terms, if you wouldn't put somebody else down, why will you do it to this group? Right. But it goes back to trust. I don't care if you're the biggest asshole in our, on earth. And you feel that way. And you think it's okay for you to make fun of somebody for their special needs. You go live your life. But when you respond in that badge, you're supposed to be a sign of security for them, a sign of what's right in the world and going to fix their problem. And if you walk in and you use anything terminology wise or body language wise that this person 
because like I said, the family's already expecting them not to get a fair shake. I promise you they've been through something yeah. where they feel their, their child was not given a fair shake. So they're already expecting that. If you confirm it, you've broken the trust. Yeah. And, and you won't get it back. You will not get it back ever. The fire department will pay, will pay for your damages forever because that family will never let that go. So you have to be mindful of what you do. But that's not just towards people with special needs. That's society in general. You don't have to be an asshole. You know, your words matter. Like you, you can treat people how, how you'd want your child to be treated. Treat them how you want your wife to be treated. It doesn't take that much to be a good person. You know, and if you're just thinking about just treating someone with respect, your words are probably going to go along a line that doesn't break that trust. That doesn't <laughs> come into, bless you, come into the, the category of being disrespectful, you know, but it really matters. And we're supposed to be, bless you, we're supposed to be that sign of, of what's right in the world. And that is built on the people that came before us doing the right thing and Thank sacrificing. Yeah. And, and yeah. people have sacrificed everything for this job, everything. Not just pain, anguish. They've given their life for this job. So for you to break that trust because you just think you're funny or you can't use respectful terminology when you deal with somebody, then that's a problem because you've just torn down everything they've built to that family. Nothing the fire service in general, nothing the mobile fire department, nothing any other fire department even matters to that family anymore because they do not trust you. They think you're a bag of shit. So yeah. just be respectful. Well, my man, thank you. Cause I, I, I wanted you, um, I, I was really impassioned by this, this talk when you did it on Corley's podcast and uh, it just stuck with me. So I, uh, I wanted to make sure that we hit on that. So I appreciate that. I have to say this, man, what a career. Um, I think in your, you know, in your not short career, but you got, you got bro, you're oh, young. Yeah, I got a long way to go. Yeah. You got, you got a lot of years left. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to see what's next for you. Um, I'm excited to watch and, and to see the impact you're making, um, with, with, uh, working with Todd on this special needs and, uh, breaking barriers campaign to, uh, port city fire training. Let's talk about that real quick before we start to segue out, um, you know, port city, what's, what fired you up to start your own? All right. So, so like I said, everything started with writing. Um, I didn't want to try to teach a class and like, you can't even vet me at all because there's nothing of me out there. So I started through writing first. And like I said, that came from, I had the idea, but didn't have, I guess, the confidence in myself to put myself out there because with me reading articles and some of it's being from where I'm from and the influence, like I'm reading Ray McCormack, I'm reading Tom Brennan's old stuff. I'm reading Mike Champo. I'm reading these guys. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't belong in there with them, you know? And he was like, no, you've got information. It's good. And if we had this problem and had to address it, other people are too because we are a decently sized job and we get a good bit of work. So sure. if we're having it. Other people are having these same issues and that information needs to get out there. So he told me to do it and that got me into the writing and I built on the writing for a little while. And then I was uh, I, going to the conferences. God, dang it. <laughs> About ripped my ear off. Plus I almost spilled a drink on my laptop. I saw, uh, <laughs> well, I didn't see the drink, but I saw yeah, the ear. Saw jump, but yeah. Uh, but so, so that got me into it. Right. And then going to the conferences, I was like, man, this is where it's at. Because like at the time, my job, like our old administration, they cared about certifications. So it was cert class, cert class, cert class, cert class, cert class. And there's not that many cert classes out there that are like really making you a better fireman or making you a better officer because officer one doesn't do tactics. You know what I mean? Like, so it was like, this is where it's at. Like my whole career had been 
hey, it's paperwork, paperwork, paperwork. And now I'm seeing these guys that are passing on experience. And that's, I was like, man, that's where it's at. So we, it started off with, I took the class we did as an engine operation class for our job and said the same thing with the article. If we had to address it, other people do. And I built it into a class. Awesome. Uh, and kind of going back to what we've always, I've been saying this whole time with who I did is I knew I didn't create that information. I knew I'd learned it from people. So I sent it out. I sent it to guys like Todd Edwards, Steve Robertson that I'd met in this conference circuit and said, hey, there's a lot of your influence in here. I'm not going to go present this until I kind of got your check of approval because I, I learned it through you and just applied my experience to sure, it. Sure, right. We're using the same information. It's just my experiences and my, my city with it. So that's where it started. And then as it started to grow, like some people have a company and some don't. The whole reason I did the company thing was just talking to some different mentors and they were like, separate business from family. Yeah. Do not, don't have it combined. So you don't, you don't want your wife wondering if you're going to this conference out of your family bank account, you know, and it was just a way to separate what I'm doing here from what I'm, what I have at home. Good. And then, then it just kind of grew and started going to more conferences and those, uh, you know, relationships grew more and just got more opportunities to get to do stuff. And I mean, I, I learned as much of the conference as I ever give, if not more, probably more, you know, and some of it isn't even what's being taught. It's watching the, the instructors everyone looks up to because you I've seen Bill Gustin, you know, 40 years in Miami sitting in the front row of a class taking notes. I've yeah. seen Todd Edwards sit in every single person's class when he's at a conference and take notes unless he's building his props out for his hands on. I've yep. seen Steve Robertson in classes, Mike Champo in classes, Ray McCormack in class in classes. Jim McCormick in classes, students Bob in classes, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, and it just got me into it. And that, that influence of those guys. Um, and it just kind of took off from there. And then, like I said, I got, they still mentor me because Steve's still like, Hey man, don't do too much. Don't, don't lose your family, you know, but that, that's kind of how it grew. Um, and just getting to it, a lot of it really started with having something to do locally, and sure. help, you know, some of the local departments that don't get to go to the work we go to. And then it just grew from there. And I'm just kind of lucky because Pensacola's got five conferences a year with a bunch of big name guys. And it's an hour and a half drive from my front door. So that's fantastic. I get, I get yeah. to be there easy and it created those networks. But like I tell people all the time, like on my job, when we talk about it, it's crazy where the fire service can take you that you never thought it could. My dream growing up was to be a New York city fireman. And there were certain names as a kid I knew like Ray McCormack, Mike Champo. I met Bob Morris, like, my freshman year of high school, we went to, some of us wanted to be firemen, went to rescue one. I met him my freshman year of high school. And then at eight rock, I get to be a part of the track he teaches and be right. one of the instructors in it. You know, it's just crazy that like, I didn't get to work with these guys. I dreamed of working with in the firehouse, but in a way the fire service came full circle and I still get to, to work with them in a way. And then it, great guys like guys like Mo, you know, Mo, Mo, Mo Davis is gold. Yeah. One of the nicest people I know in my life, you know, Gentlemen. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know him if it wasn't from the circuit side, you know, Clyde Gordon's in Houston, same way. I wouldn't know any of these people or be able to draw on their experiences, have them as mentors. If it wasn't for the conferences. You yeah. Know? But you, you also, you also have to the Anthony too, because I know the type of guy you are and you have to, you have to understand too, that the reason why you have these mentors is because you seek them out and you've right. done everything to position yourself to get as close as you can so that you feel the influence and right and that not just anybody 
can do that. It takes somebody that's really passionate and understanding and, and wanting to better themselves through the influence of others and, and you're passionate about the job. And I mean, it's, it's, a, it's the package. So, you know, as much as you talk about them, you know, you deserve some of that credit too. And, uh, and so I'm here, I'm the guy that gets to point that out to you because you're not going to admit it. So well, I appreciate uh, it. Yeah, of course. Well, listen, man, I, I absolutely appreciate your time this morning. Um, it's, you know, I'm looking forward to, like I said before, um, I'm excited to watch. I'm excited to see what's next for you. Um, and speaking of what's next, um, where can people find you? What do you have going on? Is there anything that you're involved with you want to talk about um, before we head out of here? Or Yeah, uh, well, I'll talk about one, a couple things. But, like, I just got back from Richmond, Virginia yesterday. Um, look up the 350 line yeah. and what they're doing with perfecting the craft in honor of Brad Clark's memory. Yeah. Uh, what, what John and them guys do every year, man, it's an honor to get to be a part of it um, and, and what they're doing for a fallen brother's family. Um, cause I didn't, I didn't personally know Brad. We just ran in the same circles and, uh, it's an honor to get to be up there and be a part of it every year. Uh, nice. I'm going out to Texas next month with Howard. I don't know if Mo and them are going to be there, but doing some stuff out there. And then, uh, H rock in December, that's always a plus. Cause that's, that's, I, I love standpipe operations. So, you know, that's my favorite <laughs> one. And then, uh, I get to do something with our buddy Mick in December down in, uh, New Orleans area. So that'll nice. be fun. Me and him getting yeah, to get, you know, sure. get back together. It's been a little while since I've seen him. So get to do some stuff together. And anyone wants to reach me, Facebook and Instagram at Port City Fire Training. You can find me uh, or email me at portcityfiretraining at gmail.com. I love it. Well, brother, thank you. Thank you for your time this morning. Um, I know how busy you are. And uh, to take a little bit of your time away from your family and the job and everything else to uh, spend with us is incredibly appreciative. Uh, I thank you for that. And I like to think that our audience um, is equally as appreciative to hear your word this morning. And uh, thank you, man. I look forward to seeing everything you got in the future. And, um, you know, this is just the beginning of a very good relationship. So I look forward to uh, future projects together um, and so on. So, man, Rob, you got any last? Go ahead, brother. Uh, like I said, man, I appreciate it more than y'all know. I think y'all are really doing great things for the fire service. And uh, just, just keep pushing forward with it because I think you're you guys are really on the right track of what you're doing and, and what it's doing for the fire service, even if you don't recognize it. So I'm just honored I get to be a part of it too. Ah, thank you. Thank you, brother. Rob, you got any last words, my man? I have no, no last words. Tonight. That's it, huh? You, just another cup of coffee and a nap. I got it. No worries. Yeah. All right. Well, Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in on this episode with Anthony Rowett. Um, an incredible episode, a lot of information packed in. And uh, Cap, look forward to uh, future endeavors with you. And I uh, wish you nothing but uh, a safe and healthy career. And uh, thanks, pal. Appreciate it. And uh, Appreciate we'll it. talk thank, again thank soon. You guys. No, thanks, don't, dis don't disappear when, I, when we I sign off. I but um, I just want to thank the audience for tuning in. And uh, we appreciate the support. And uh, we'll catch you on the next side. See ya.